0: church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon.
1: I want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians the 7th chapter. Any good-hearted pastor, evangelist or Christian tonight? will acknowledge the fact that there's something radically wrong with modern-day evangelism. I mean, when men like Billy Graham will confess, I'd be almost ashamed to confess it that only 2% of those who respond in those mass crusades end up somewhere in a local church, between 2 and 5%. I told my wife, I said, it seems like the back door of our church is bigger than the front door. They come through the front door. I've seen them come down to the altars and weep crocodile tears. It seems like they had an experience, some kind of religious experience, and then they go out the back door, and you don't see them again. That is not the biblical pattern when the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I believe tonight that God has ordained that you and I should go forth, bring forth fruit, that our fruit should remain. I'm contending tonight for lasting fruit in this revival. There's no greater joy as an evangelist to come back to a church three or four years later and see those same people living for Christ and going on for God. I remember many years ago preaching down in Central Phoenix and and we're starting the service and God's dealing with me all night long, you know. You know, you might as well not fight God. You might as well just throw up the white flag and surrender. Who are we to argue with God and and he's dealing with me about calling a man out and praying for him. I told God, "I'm up on the platform during worship service. I'm, I'm, I'm arguing with God." I said, "That man's not saved. I don't call out unsaved people. I call out saved people." God said, "Call him out." I heard it distinctly three different times, and before at the end of the altar call that night, I asked this gentleman to come forward to pray for him. I said, You want to get saved, don't you? He said, I sure do. I didn't know his wife had been in the church for four years. Come back a few years later, he's still in the church. A few years later, after that, he's pastoring a church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And the next thing I know, he's over in Uganda as a missionary. Now, that's what gets me excited. To come back year after year and see those folks in my mother church in Prescott still living for Christ, still on fire, still investing their resources, still outreaching after all these years, still doing the will of God. I want to preach tonight on false conversion from 2 Corinthians chapter 7 tonight. I don't have all the answers, but I do have a few. Now, I want to begin reading of verse number eight tonight. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that that same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss. Uh, From us in nothing. Verse 10 said, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world, that's remorse, produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear. What vehement desire, what zeal, and what vindication. Now something is desperately wrong tonight as we look over the religious landscape in the United States at the large number of pretenders. That's right, pretenders. We have a born-again syndrome in this country. Everyone claims to be born Again, here are the statistics. The Barnard Research Group 62% of Americans claim to be born again. 62%. Yet, one in four American adults who said that they were born again think that Jesus sinned while he was on the earth. Now, this same bunch, over 50%, 50 do not believe in a literal devil. Billy Sunday preached many years ago. He said, if you don't believe in a literal devil, you probably have one in you as big as a woodchuck. I'm not going to mention names tonight, but Carlton Pearson said that everyone's saved, they just don't know it yet. Well, I beg to differ because this Bible said there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and you're not going to live here forever. You can get up in the morning in your spandex and be out at 4.30 jogging and get run over by a semi if God calls your number. I've read of people who choke to death on their grape nut flakes. I've buried skinny ones and fat ones, tall and short, every variety, every race. Listen, I've got the statistics tonight. I looked it up. Ten out of ten are going to die. And you're only one heartbeat away tonight from eternity. Life is too short. Eternity is too long. Can you say amen tonight? I was even reading here the other day, working with idiots can kill you. Idiots in the office are just as hazardous to your health as cigarettes, caffeine, or greasy food, an eye opening new study reveals. In fact, those dopes can kill you. Stress is one of the top causes of heart attacks. Working with stupid people on a daily basis is one of the deadliest forms of stress. The author of the study, Dr. Dagmar Anderson, says her team studied 500 heart attack patients. This is amazing. And we were puzzled to find 62% of that 500 had relatively few of the physical risk factors commonly blamed for heart attacks. Then we questioned them about lifestyle habits. Almost all of these low risk patients told us that they work with stupid people who could barely find their way from the parking lot to their office. And their heart attacks came less than 12 hours after having a major confrontation with one of these oaths. One woman had to be rushed to the hospital after her assistant shredded important company tax documents instead of copying them. A man told us he collapsed right at his desk because the woman at the next cubicle kept asking him for correction fluid for her computer monitor. Even stupidity stupidity can kill you You can cut back on smoking or improve your diet, Dr. Anderson says, but most people have very poor coping skills when it comes to stupidity. They feel there's nothing they can do about it, so they just internalize their frustration until they finally explode. Stupid co-workers can can also double or triple someone's workload, she explains. Many of our subjects feel sorry for the drooling idiots uh, that they work with, so they try to cover for them by fixing their mistakes. One poor woman spent a week rebuilding a client's record because a clerk put them all in the recycle bin of her computer and then emptied it. She thought it meant the records would be recycled and used again. We're talking about eternity tonight. We're talking about eternal souls. The book, The Day America Told the Truth, 91% lie regularly at work or at home. lie regularly to parents, 75% lie, 75% lie regularly to friends, a massive 92% in America own a Bible, 11% read it daily, 90% of Americans pray, but 87% do not believe in all the Ten Commandments. Here's one organization, 61% believe that premarital sex is not morally wrong. In 1995, a youth leader magazine stated, more Christian teens watch MTV each week, 42%, than non-Christians, 33%, according to a Barnard Research Group survey of evangelical teens. Something is radically wrong tonight on the religious landscape in America. We need to see real conversions. I'm talking about people who get the goods. I'm not talking about these Judases, uh, amen, who claimed to have had a religious experience, uh, amen. Their life does not bear out. Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit, not by their bumper sticker, not by their praise the Lord headband, You're going to know them by the fruit that they bear. I have people tell me all the time, you're judging me. That is a common cliche in our generation when you really witness to someone, you're judging me. I said, I'm not judging you, I'm a fruit inspector. I want to consider with you, first of all, one of the reasons why we're seeing so many false conversions is because of a faulty presentation of the gospel. We have suffered in this country in the last 100 years. We are entrenched in traditional evangelism that we don't equate real life with a message that we preach. You know what the commonplace message is in so many pulpits in America? The commonplace message is come down and receive Jesus and add him to your life. And he will enrich and make your life fuller. Now, you're going to be hard taxed to find that kind of message in the Bible tonight. Not one of the apostles. Neither did Jesus Christ, uh, amen, uh, uh, preach a gospel that says if you'll come to Christ, uh, you'll get a better life. What's missing? Matter of fact, you're going to, if you see, if you look at the Word of God, you're going to find that none of the disciples were ever telling sinners that God loved them, had a wonderful plan for their lives. History tells us the fate of the apostles. Philip was crucified in Phrygia, A.D. 54. Barnabas was burned to death in Cyprus at A.D. 64. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome in A.D. 69. Paul was beheaded in Rome A.D. 66. Uh, Andrew was crucified in Achaia A.D. 70. Matthew was beheaded in Ethiopia in A.D. 60. Luke was hanged in Athens. Thomas was speared to death in India. Mark was dragged to death in Alexandria A.D. 64. And James was clubbed to death uh, in Jerusalem in A.D. 66. And these men were not killed because they climbed up on the bow of the ship and sang the old song, something good is going to happen to you. Matter of fact, they preached, amen, something bad is going to happen to you. Come down and receive Jesus and he'll enrich your life. It's what's being proclaimed, and we wonder why we have so many faulty converts, why we have so many false conversions in this country. We are a fellowship of preachers. I said we are a fellowship of preachers. This is not a teaching ministry per se. We are a preaching ministry for a reason. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them which are lost. I want to tell you, tonight it's so wonderful to be a part of a preaching fellowship that's contending for the souls of men, and if the world's going to be saved, it's going to be saved through the preaching of the Word of God, the convicting power of the Spirit of God behind preachers. I thank God for men. I thank God that we've broken the curse of the feminine spirit, and God has raised up men in this generation that will open their mouth and turn that beefy tongue loose and say bless God you're either going to get right or you're going to get left you're going to turn or burn thank God for preachers James chapter 4 said he resists the proud gives grace to the humble never once do you read in the four gospels the son of God give the good news to the proud Not once do you find him preaching good news to the proud, the arrogant, or the self-righteous. Jesus and Paul always preached the law of God to the proud and arrogant and grace to the meek and the humble. With the law we should break the hard heart and with the gospel heal the broken hearted. The Bible says without the law, there could be no knowledge of sin. The book of Romans chapter 7 tonight. How can you uh, repent if you don't know who you have offended? The law can never save. Can you say amen tonight? But the law brings the knowledge of sin. And this is one of the reasons why tonight we're seeing so many false conversions in this country is because we're not hearing the law of God preached. That's the reason why they want to remove the Ten Commandments out of Alabama. It's not just a piece of rock. It's what those commandments stand for. Because every time one of those queers, every time one of those adulterers, those perverts, they look at the, the law of God, they're smitten in their heart, they're smitten in their conscience. And I want to tell you, once you're smitten in your conscience about your sin, you're going to say, what must I do to be saved? I still remember the night I got saved. I want to tell you, I I felt a holy God. I recognized there was a holy God in that room that I had offended. And I felt like Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train filled the temple. He said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Listen to the church fathers. Martin Luther Wherefore, he said, this is the proper and absolute use of the law by lightning, by tempest, by the sound of the trumpet as in Mount Sinai to terrify and by thundering to beat down and rend in pieces that beast which is called the opinion of righteousness. A.W. Pink He said, the unsaved are in no condition today for the gospel to the law be applied to their hearts for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Here's Robbie Flockhart. Here's a a Scottish preacher. He said, you must preach the law for the gospel is a silken thread and you cannot get it into the hearts of men unless you've made a way for it with a sharp needle. The needle of the law will pull the silken thread of the gospel after it. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said you can't cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. What is the pearl? The pearl of great price tonight is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, Paul said these words, this is the gospel in a nutshell, that Jesus was crucified on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. And you're going to rise how many looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker? How many glad we're going to rise tonight? You preach grace to the proud and watch what they do with it. It's always interesting to watch folks. Religious people who come into our services. You know, they enjoy the worship service. They like it that there's so many young people there. But they hate someone to stand up and preach the simple gospel with conviction. They hate altar calls. I've had them stomp out like donkeys just right out the back door. They didn't really like our church because, first of all, we had too many ethnics. They said, well, at least the pastor's white. Then they meet my wife and lose the victory. In our churches, we have too many unexpected things going on in the service. They don't like that either. Because every once in a while, a wino gets by the ushers. They want it nice and sanitized. But this is dirty business. We're dealing with sinners. You want, the, you want the, the stall clean, then keep the oxen out of the stall. You're going to deal with some really messy issues. They're going to put gum underneath the chair on the pews. Their kids are going to miss the toilet in the men's bathroom. I can guarantee you that. There will be a few overflows. That's what it means to re-sinners. sinners Sinners have problems. We're called to reach problem people. And if we would think back just a few years, we were also problem people. Hardly could chew gum and walk at the same time. We've been saved a few weeks, a few months, and now we have absolutely no tolerance for people with problems. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about repentance that God can work with. I can go a long way with a, with a new convert, but he may be struggling. I still remember the first time I gave my testimony, a cuss word slipped out. I said, sorry, pastor, and I just kept on testifying. I went out and bought me a big old wooden cross. They didn't say nothing to me for a while. I was proud of that big wooden cross. And I came to church with a... Family Bible? I'm telling you the truth. That thing weighed about 15 pounds. I'd have to walk down the center aisle on one hip carrying that thing in. And those old converts would be punching one another. Look at him. I wanted everybody to know I was reading the Bible. Later for those little Christian workers, New Testament, that you hide in your hip pocket. I brought a family Bible. I didn't understand what was being preached the first 90 days. All I knew is I was once in darkness, but now I'm in the light. Once I was bound, but now I'm free. I couldn't explain it. People said, how did it happen? I said, go to that church. Wait till the fourth stanza of Just As I Am. Set on the second row and it'll happen to you. You know, I led my brother to Christ. Didn't even know how to pray the sinner's prayer. I had to take a track and turn it over and pray the sinner's prayer out of the back of a track with my brother. But he got saved right there in the bedroom. He said, if it will do for me what it's done for you, I'll take it. We're talking about getting saved tonight. And the reason why we're seeing so many false conversions uh, is a faulty presentation. Not the gospel. The gospel is not faulty, but it's the presentation that we've heard in the last 100 years in America. We have forgotten the law of God. They will trample the proud, will trample the blood of Jesus Christ under their feet uh, with their false profession. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 says, they have insulted the spirit of grace. Those false converts who make a profession of faith without having a humble heart have the experience described in 2 Peter chapter 2, according to the true proverb a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. God calls this false converts, dogs and hogs. You talk about a graphic picture. I had a little black lab. When I first went to Utah, if there was ever a dog that was saved, that little dog was saved. I believe he was a born-again lab. I love that little dog, but he had a bad habit. I'd take him around in the car, and he'd get car sick every time. I'd pull up in the front driveway. i said, well, I have to go clean the mess out. He's back in the back seat doing his thing, and I knew I was going to have to clean the mess up, and I'd go to put him in the backyard, open the door, to put him in the backyard. I put him in the yard, come back out to clean the car, and all of it was gone. He got sick, and I got sick in the front yard, in front of the neighborhood before God and my wife and everybody. You talk about gross. You talk about sick. And so you see these backsliders around town, they're doing a backstroke in the toilet trying to tell you and I how happy they are. I am so happy where I'm at. Like they've been brushing with Preparation H. Most miserable people in the world are backsliders. Are you with me? God has done so much for us. What's missing in the preaching in America many times is repentance. Repentance. No wonder we have so many come through the altars in modern America. The false convert has never crucified the flesh with its passion and desire. Secondly, tonight, modern-day evangelism fails to mention the fact of Judgment Day. Whatever happened to hell? That's what I'd like to ask. Whatever happened to eternity? Here you got sinners advertising on television near-death experience. Just the fact that it was a near-death experience means they didn't die. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Here is USA Today. 52% of adults are certain there's a hell. 27% think there might be. 48% believe it's a real place where people suffer eternal torment. 46% say it's an anguished state of existence rather than an actual place you wish. And 6% don't know. Many have concocted their own theories about hell. Comedian Woody Allen once said, hell is Manhattan at rush hour. Isn't that sweet? If Woody Allen doesn't get saved, he's going to split hell wide open. Listen to what he goes on to say. There's no question. There's an unseen world. The question is, how far is it from Midtown, and how late does it stay open? Will isn't that sweet? Here's Willie Nelson on public TV. I'll never in my life ever go into another gospel preaching church. You know what he's mad about? Some little Baptist preacher faced him off one time and said, Willie, if you're going to teach our kids in children's church... You're going to stay out of the bars and the honky-tonks on Saturday night. You understand me? And if you don't like it, leave. I'd like to take that Baptist preacher out to a chicken dinner tonight. There's no such thing as Pentecostal pimps, Pentecostal prostitutes. Hello? Hello? a generation where everybody is saved, everybody's born again, born-again movie stars, born-again professional athletes because they received Jesus somewhere. Well, that's wonderful that you received Jesus. The question is, has there been a change? Can you remember the day that it happened to you? It's just as real to me tonight as if it happened yesterday. It is so real. Amen. I walked into the church going due south on an eight-lane highway, and a little preacher pointed his finger at me and preached the word of the living God, preached to me the gospel, preached repentance unto me, and I'm, I've never lost the wonder. Hallelujah. I was changed. I didn't get religious. I didn't join the church. I've had people say, I'm a member of the church. I shook hands with a preacher and signed my name to a You might as well shake a donkey's tail and sign your name on a barn door. Jesus said, You must be born again. Whatever happened to judgment? What a fearful thing to know that everyone in this place tonight is going to stand before God. You're either going to meet Him as your Savior or you're going to meet Him as your judge. Acts chapter 17, verse 31 truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Listen, friend, you may miss your doctor's appointment, you may miss your dental appointment, you may forget your luncheon appointment, but one appointment you will not miss. And that's with God. My grandmother used to preach judgment to me. I'd go by her house to eat black-eyed peas and cornbread and she'd preach Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I hated that. I couldn't even enjoy my sin. I'm out in the world and trying to have a good time and those words are ringing in my ear. You're going to perish. I remember sleeping in her house at night. She had one of those big nice those old feather mattresses you'd have to you'd have to have a tornado or term she'd have to come in and almost throw me out of the bed to get me up in the morning you go to sleep and sleep for three days in those things but i'd get up in the middle of the night terrified in a cold sweat i'd walk down the hallway and put my ear on her door to see if i could hear her snoring as long as I could hear her breathing, I knew the rapture hadn't taken place yet. She got saved in an old Methodist camp meeting. That's before the Methodists started ordaining homos. That was before the women's lib liberation. These were old-time Methodist preachers saved in a camp meeting in a Brush Arbor meeting, she called them, she said, you know what they're called? They'll call mourning benches. I said, mourning. They would come down and repent. What they were was just simply altar calls. They were benches where people would come down and mourn over their sin. She said, you could hear them past 11 o'clock at night as we're going home in a wagon. Going back home, you could hear those people, amen, still calling out to God in repentance. They'd get so happy. They'd jump up, put their hands up, get them hung up in the chicken wire in the ceiling. Now we're so sophisticated. Everything is high tech. Now technology has replaced Holy Ghost preaching. Laser light shows. The power team came. You broke a bat over your knee. Isn't that powerful? Whoopee. You blew up a hot water bottle. You broke a block of ice with your forehead. We know there's nothing up there now. We have the power team here. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In this, how many know that two thirds of the angels are still on our side? First Thessalonians 1.10, The reason Jesus died on the cross was to save us from the wrath to come. What a contrast as you look at the content of today's popular track. There's no mention of Judgment Day, not a hint of hell, no use of the law of God to bring the knowledge of personal sin, and the gospel is held up as a means of happiness rather than a means of righteousness. It's the perfect recipe for a false conversion. We have now the stony ground here. He receives the word with joy and gladness, but in a time of tribulation, temptation, or persecution, he falls away. What is a false convert? They are sinners whose hearts have been hardened without the preparatory work of the law and repentance. The law is a schoolmaster, and Jesus gave us a principle that the true and the false would be alongside each other, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the good fish and the bad fish, the wise and the foolish virgins, the sheep and the goats. Some of these professing Christians stay within the church and others leave it in droves but just the same they're false conversions dr martin lloyd jones said a gospel which merely says come to jesus and offers him as a friend and offers a marvelous new life without convincing of sin is not evangelism it's not new testament evangelism true evangelism must always start by preaching the law of god Now, this is serious business tonight, and the reason why I'm preaching is because we have a 90% up to a 90% evangelistic crop failure in this country. They are not repenting like they used to repent. I said they're not repenting. Just wearies you when you follow up on people that didn't get it sitting in the living room, and they're watching TV. Their eyes are glued to it. Their eyes are out on stems. You can scrape them off with a stick. And you're trying to get their attention, trying to follow up on people that didn't get it. Yes, people slip through the cracks. Yes, sometimes because of the lack of care. I believe in follow-up. We do follow up on folks. But following up on people who have never Gotten the goods, how frustrating it is for the pastor, for the evangelist. The third thing that modern day evangelism has done, it has glossed over sin. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God said, I'll give you a heart transplant. The problem in America today is many times the message has been watered down and has caused confusion and made the gospel this evening impotent and powerless. Evangelistic outreaches are billed as taking the good news to the hurting and the needy. One writer said these words before my conversion. I was very happy, content, satisfied, cheerful, thankful, and joyful. I was loving life and living it to the fullest. Therefore, I probably wasn't a candidate for modern-day gospel preaching. The tragedy here is when the church declares the message that Jesus gives happiness, it restricts your field of evangelistic endeavor. Instead of hearing the message of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. Now, here's the sad results tonight of this kind of preaching. Number one, it wears out the pastor. Instead of being able to finally fully give himself to feeding the flock of God as a shepherd, he's forever counseling those who are hearers of the Word and not doers of the Word. Did you know that most counseling goes on across this pulpit tonight. You're not cheering me on like you did last night. It's, you know, I'm looking for somebody to jump up and dance now. I'm getting quiet in here. Endless, trying to counsel problems. You say, is there safety? Yes, there's safety in the multitude of counsel. I believe in counseling. But we are a counseling generation. And what we're willing to do is Repent you know my pastor said you'll cut your counseling way back if you'll get people in the altar? Do you notice these people coming down the altar last night? There's something about coming down in this altar last night. These people are getting the goods. What is it about an altar that God is pleased with? How many know five minutes in the presence of the Holy Ghost will do more for us than 50 programs? I've counseled people, come out of counseling sessions crazier than the people I'm trying to help. My wife said, how did it go? I said, well, it seemed to go pretty good. They got some relief. Secondly, the happiness gospel then has the church workers who are already few in number tied up in the function of being counselors, propping people up. When these people don't need propping up or counseling, they need repentance. Repentance. Are you with me? Instead of departing from iniquity, they bring both their sins and their problems into the church. What does the genuine convert have that the others don't have? Number one, he has understanding. Matthew 13, 23, but he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. And secondly, he had a noble and good heart Luke 8:15 but the one that fell on good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart keep it and bear much fruit with patience I don't have all the answers tonight to why we do not see many times the conversions that we desire to say but I do know a few things Hello Thank God for Holy Ghost preachers. What I'm saying tonight is that we need to keep on doing what we've been doing. We don't need to change in midstream trying to find a better way. Here's the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. And the young rich ruler comes to Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? You and I would have pulled out the convert card and signed him up. And then sent him around through the full Gospel businessman circuit so he could give his testimony how he can be a millionaire and have Jesus too. You know what Jesus said? You got a problem, buddy. Your problem is covetousness. He didn't, get he didn't let him off the hook. He said, you got a problem with money. That's your problem. And the Bible said he turned around and walked away sorrowfully, and you don't find anywhere in the four gospel Jesus chasing him down the road, you know, trying to find a better way to get him in. What a generation we live in. What week. What sometimes I think we really need is just a good old-fashioned persecution craze. Shake a few things up here. Are you with me? Put some iron in our cell. We lose the victory if somebody slams the door. You ever gone on an outreach and knocked on the door and prayed nobody would answer? I have. I'm preaching in Payson, Arizona, and preaching on the street. A guy took a whole tall boy can of beer and poured it over the top of my head. Then I had to go home and explain to my wife that was an outreach. I said, I ought to just whip you right here. I said, you're a backslider, aren't you? And he just broke down and started weeping, prayed the sinner's prayer with him, and he immediately sobered up. I said, you ought to thank God I'm saved. We need to keep on preaching, folks. Keep on preaching. Keep on doing what we're doing. We need to get a hearing. We show movies. We have outreaches. We have concerts. We do all those things. Rock and roll, rap, haunted houses, whatever we can do to get a hearing. Here last year in Ogden, they're standing in line in freezing rain just to have the pee scared out of them. Wonderful. 606 people came through. I believe in all those things. But when they get to the end of that haunted house, we have five or six preachers lined up back to back preaching the gospel. Moroni is not the answer. Joseph Smith, Brigham Young don't have the answers. There's no hope in dope, no hope in the Pope. Sung Young Moon don't have the answer. Some other gay-faced guru doesn't have the answer. Jesus has the answer for your life. And if you repent, turn away from your sin, God will step in and give you a miracle. Hallelujah. Got two good families out of that outreach. I love it when they repent, don't you? I want us to bow our heads together tonight. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed.
0: and love people.